shake a hand, give a hug. retcon for one of our elders is the only one I know that can hold up a mask and stare at himself in the mask. <laughs> there you go. See, he's got it. <laughs> Good morning. Glad you're here. You're probably wondering what we're doing with masks, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. You're going to use it. So if you don't want to have a mask, you might want to go out and get one because I love to embarrass people that don't have masks today because then I can see who they are. Okay. Inside of here are some things that are very important. Um, on the inside. There's a lot of stuff in here. I'm going to highlight three. One is we have a children's ministry planning meeting next Sunday, right after the second service with uh, lunches included. If you would like to be involved in just voicing your thoughts on what do we do with our kids, uh, come on and talk to us. Mom, dad, grandma, granddad, doesn't matter. Then the second one down is an affirmation class. If you have a third to eighth grader or a grandchild in that age range, this is where we talk about what do we believe? Why do we have a why do we have a baptism service? What's communion all about? How do we do that? So I'd love to invite you to send your kids and come yourself because you may not know. Sometimes it's easier to understand it from a kid's perspective. So uh, come. And then on the very back down at the bottom on Palm Sunday, we have a new member Sunday coming up on that day. Uh, the Bugners, we recognize them in the first service because they're not going to be here on that Sunday. But we have a big, we have a big crowd forming already of uh, members that want to join. So if you have, if you were at the uh, inquirers class, either this one or one of the earlier ones, and you want to join, even if you didn't come, just let me know. Let's talk, and we'll get you on the list. We also have a baptism Sunday. So we already have several to be baptized, and so if you'd like to be baptized on Palm Sunday, let me know, or let you know, or whoever, and uh, we'll make sure you get in. And if you forget, and you show up on that Sunday, and you will still want to be baptized, you go down and get wet. That's your issue. Okay? <laughs> if you love the Lord, we'll be glad to baptize you. Okay, so today we've been on the series of sin. We've been talking about sin because we stopped and asked the question. We looked at five of the minor prophets, and after Lent, we're going to look at the other seven. And uh, what got God going about sin? You know, every prophet talks about sin. It's got to be important. So the last two weeks, we really talked about um, the destructiveness of sin, and I really wanted to work you through that so you can understand uh, what it really is all about. We don't talk very much about sin. Uh, I'm not this kind of preacher, although I was a couple weeks ago, got in your face a little bit, and it's important to understand the reality and the gravity of it. If your view of sin is this tall, this big, then your view of grace is this big. And to really understand this incredible gift that we've been given, your view has to be this big so that your view of grace can be that big. So today we're going to talk about living from behind a mask. 
Because you know what? You all have it. You all wear masks. I've said many, many times, I can fool you easily by presenting a certain person up here. If you want to know what I'm really like, ask Nancy, sitting in the back. She'll tell you. She's going, no, please don't ask me. (laughs) She doesn't want to tell you the truth. Okay, better yet, if you really want to know what I'm like, ask my kids. They would love to tell you. Okay? Um, We've laughed about, because, you know, sometimes, you know, some of you know I'm on this podcast. To most of the people that listen, I'm just an avatar. But not to you. Many of you know know me for who I am. You kind of know the reality of it. And that's important. And so we all have masks that we wear and that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's some good things about it. For example, um, okay, we have this uh, veneer here where the Lord gives us a place that's safe. Can you imagine what church would be like? You walk up to somebody and say, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm really struggling with pornography. How about you? Oh, yeah, I'm really struggling because I was abused as a kid. I mean, what would life be like if we just walked around that? okay? And so this is important that we have the veneer But it's just as important that every one of you have a pathway to redemption, to healing, a a place to go where you can be honest about the struggles, the, the inner workings. How many of you would like your deepest secrets portrayed up here in front of the congregation? Let me see. Raise your hand. Okay, there's one. Only one. And he's a comedian. (laughs) right none of us want the deepest darkest stuff portrayed up there by the way that's why it's so meaningful when paul says that god gave us his spirit so that we would know the things that are important to him because we don't want to share that our, our spirit with anyone else he shared his spirit specifically so we could know him personally the rest of us, we're not, we're not able to do that. We wouldn't want to do that. We don't want people to know the deepest truths about us. In fact, down deep, I think every human wrestle with, wrestles with, I want somebody to know the truth about me and love me anyway. That's really what I want. So the first example we have of mass, or another way of saying hiding from people, we hide a portion of us from people, is actually found in the garden. You know the story, right? Adam and Eve ate the wrong, the wrong fruit, took a bite of the wrong thing. And what happened? Everything in world history changed. I don't know what it's like not to have a sin nature. I don't know what it's like not to live in a fallen world. I can only glimpse it. And the glimpses come in the most surprising ways. You know, when I was teaching at uh, Colorado Christian University a few years back, I taught uh, freshmen. And I taught their first classes, so New Testament intro, Old Testament intro. And, um, and they had to do these online journals. And so I'm, I'm reading the journals, you know, giving them feedback on their reflection on the class. And somebody made a comment, one of the students, that got my attention. So I walked into the class and I said, um, how many of you are looking forward to heaven? Had 40 students. How many do you think? Zero. 
and my heart broke. And I said, why? Tell me what you think heaven is. You know what it came out as? It's an eternal church service. <laughs> it's like, oh. I mean, I said to one of the elders once, I get bored with myself sometimes up here and want to fall asleep. And he said, that's okay. We all do that every Sunday. <laughs> the eternal church service. It's like, shoot me now and put me out of my misery. Oh, no, no, wait. I said to the students, don't do that because then I have to endure church for all of eternity. How on earth did we communicate that? You know, the Bible never says you, never actually says you die and go to heaven. It doesn't say that. That's a theological construct. Heaven is always portrayed as coming to us. Always. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the what? Say it. The earth. This is our home. Romans 4, Abraham was promised the earth. This is our home. When you get to the end of the story in Revelation, the new heavens are descending to create a new earth environment. Earth is our domain. Heaven is God's domain. Heaven is always portrayed as coming to us. God wants to live with us in our midst. He wants to live with us. That's how it's always portrayed. And yet somehow we've created this, this, this picture for our young people that we don't, we're going to go somewhere else. And not one of them was interested in that. I'm not interested in that. Some of you have heard me use the example. When you smash your finger and it starts bleeding and the blood coagulates, is that part of creation or is that part of the curse? Your body design. If it's part of creation, then apparently God meant us to smash our fingers. That's how we learn. What happens when the Lord comes back is that the heavens and the earth come together to form something brand new so we can get back to doing what God made us for, to rule over the creation and have a blast. This is our home. We are to enjoy it. But we can only get a glimpse of that. You don't know what it's like not to have us in nature either. We can't really picture a world without corruption and greed. I've said many times, if you want to read the, if you want to read the headlines on social media or the newspaper, just do it for entertainment. Okay? Don't do it to learn truth because you're not going to get it. All right? Do it for entertainment to watch the spiritual battle. And we live in a fascinating time. I'm looking at all the stuff that's rolling out on everything, studies, and everybody's arguing, highlighting, pointing all this stuff. we got committees doing all this stuff, you know, all this analysis and, and uh, subpoenaing people. And, and it's just fascinating to me to see this happening at the scale that it's happening. You know? I read yesterday that 26 countries have now uh, made the vaccine illegal. What's with that? I have no idea. Don't ask me. I'm a theologian. Okay? It's not my world. I'm just going, who do we trust? I don't even know who we trust except the Lord. Okay? Everything we see, the swirl around us, the confusion, the disorientation, the disinformation, whatever you want to call it, this is all the product of a fallen world. You want to know what eternity will be like? 
the closest I can come, and I've never done it because I don't know how, is plant a flower and watch it grow. And you get just a glimpse. Okay? I kill things. Okay? Fortunately, I have a wife that does not. And during the summer, you often won't find me in my office. You'll find me on my back deck where it's nice and warm and there's flowers everywhere. All over our deck. That's Nancy. And I get just a taste. And that's where I do a lot of my studying and prayer is sitting on my back deck. And so what sin does, it makes us hide. We can't tell the truth to one another. We feel like we can't tell the truth to one another. And so the very first thing that happened, God gave them the choice and they ate the wrong fruit. And they started hiding from that moment on. Look in Genesis chapter 3. The man and the woman, uh, the wife, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord. Uh, They hid from God among the trees of the garden. I personally think this is what we call a Christophany. Whenever you see God appears in human form, that's always Christ. So it's a Christophany. Okay, whenever he appears in the form of nature, like the burning bush, that's a theophany, the os for God. So God appears in nature or he appears as a human, depending on where you are. And when it's a human, it's always Jesus. So Jesus is walking through the garden. He knows where they are. He's God. He's walking through the garden. And so the Lord God called to the man, hey, uh, Adam, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Okay, now listen to his response. This is after they had eaten the wrong thing. They answered, he answered, I heard you in the garden. And immediately he has the wrong emotion. And I was afraid. Fear. That wasn't natural to creation. It's not in the fruit of the spirit. It's not what we're created for. His very first response was the wrong emotion. Fear. And then he moves from there to an incorrect and inaccurate view of reality. Why was I afraid? Because I was naked. I was exposed. God made him that way. Why to be afraid of that? Because sin has corrupted the soul. And so then out of that comes the wrong strategy. So I hid. And what's the very next thing he does? The woman, it's her fault. Now that's not always bad. Okay, just got to say. Sometimes I say to Nancy, I don't know how, but somehow it's your fault. And what does the woman do? It's a serpent's fault. And so we enter this whole process, all of us, where we begin to hide and point the finger at others. That's what happens. It's so natural for us. All you got to do is read the headlines. It depends on which side of the aisle you're on, who's to blame. It's always the other one. It's always the other one. Well, this group is going to lead us to complete destruction. Well, this group is going to lead us to no longer being a nation. This group is going to lead us to war. This group is going to lead us to uh, no longer uh, loving our values. Okay? That's what you're going to find when you read it. That's why I said, just laugh at it. Psalm 2, the Lord laughs at the nations. Because you know why? No one's got it figured out. No one. The Lord laughs at the nations. 
Sometimes they have this picture of God sitting there and Jesus at his right hand, and they're kind of having a conversation, watching all the people, what's going on. And, and then, trans? I didn't even think of that one. I mean, we're a very creative people. We move into all areas of, of things that we weren't created for. That's our natural tendency is to do that. That's why we're focusing on this concept of sin. The good news is, let me remind you, sin is not about judgment. That's what the cross is for. Sin is about stupidity. Okay? Sin is about doing things that are going to get you buried deeper in the hole. They're going to get you involved in things that you're not happy about. And so we start down this track, and every one of us follows it. We hide and point the fingers at others. You know, the one thing God tried to protect us from in the garden, the knowledge of good and evil. Isn't that a good thing to know? No, it's not. It's really destructive to know that because it requires omniscience. That's why parents are exhausted half the time. He said, she said, which one's right? You don't know. It requires omniscience. I don't know your motives. I really don't. I don't know your circumstances. Got an email a bunch of years ago that the elders asked me uh, from time to time, what's it like being a senior pastor? And I got this very, very rude and mean email calling me things that I would expect in the Navy, (laughs) but not in the... And they were like, whoa, is that a visitor? No, it's one of our members. And they said, has this person written you before with this? I said, oh, it's the 35th email in seven days. Who is it? Oh, you don't need to know. It's not important. So I waited a couple days till there was no emails, and I went and knocked on the door. Door opens. Talk about one of those uncomfortable moments, which I love, by the way. <laughs> and this person didn't know what to say, so they said, well, I knew if I, I, knew if, I allowed the, uh, if I yelled loud enough, I'd get your attention. I said, no, it doesn't work that way. They said, uh, read all your emails, file them away. I sleep with a clear conscience. What are you doing here? You're in my church. What is going on? Well, they had gotten really, really bad health news. And I was the safest person to take it out on. We say things to our spouses that we won't say to the grocery store clerk because they're safer. And so when I read all these emails, I thought something tragic is happening and I'm the safest person to punch. So I made the I I quit I didn't make an assumption. I don't know what's wrong. I'm going to go find out. And it was tragic news. And I got to sit and cry with this person. If I had said that's rude, that's sin, you shouldn't be doing that, I would have missed one of the greatest opportunities. Right? You're not smart enough to exercise the knowledge of good and evil. None of us are. We're not wise enough. This is why God says throughout the scriptures, be very careful when you confront another person or you're going to end up in the same sin. That's why he says numerous times to ascertain the facts based on two or three witnesses, not one. That's why God gave us four gospels and not one. Because he knows our human frailty and we're not dependent on one witness. We have four different witnesses two of which who walked with Jesus personally 
to look at the facts. Always entertain the facts on the basis of two or three, not one. Otherwise, you're going to be led all over the map. All over the map. See, the Lord knew that about us. So the knowledge of good and evil, that was an act of grace not to let us have it. It's not smarter to have it. It's much more of a burden to have it because you have to be extremely careful how you exercise that knowledge. And their natural tendency, our natural tendency is to make assumptions about everybody around us. That's our natural tendency. And to begin blaming others. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? It comes from an unreal view of reality. Yeah, we do live in a new reality, 2 Corinthians 5. And if anyone is in Christ, they're part of the new creation. What's the next thing? Say it out loud. The old is where? It's gone. The new is here. That's our reality. The problem is we don't know how to exercise it. We've been given gifts and toys that we don't know what to do with. So we always resort back to the old style, to hide. We want to hide. And then we want to blame others. That's what happens, is that we have this unreal view of reality. You see, for evil to do its worst, it has to look its best. We have a very good teacher, 2 Corinthians 11, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. We have a very good teacher. Let's be honest. Sin is fun. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. Not fun for very long. But that first dabble into sin is often fun, isn't it? Ask anybody who's committed adultery. Anybody who's tried drugs. Okay? The first dabble into sin, that first dance or two, is fun before it becomes addictive. And it becomes enslaving. It is fun. So in order for evil to do its worst, it needs to look its best. That's why I've said that if your view of sin is only this big, then your view of grace is only this big. We've been given the most wonderful gift in the world, but we don't understand it. And the more we can do to enlarge our view of sin, then the more grateful we are to receive grace. Because it truly is a very powerful gift. So what happens is vices begin to masquerade as virtues. Lust becomes love. Oh, I really love this other woman or this other man. Boy, if I could only have her or him instead of the one I have, life would be good. That's an illusion. It's a deceit. Envy begins to masquerade as righteous indignation. Who are you? How do you deserve that? Why don't I have it? Sitting on an airplane, because I fly a lot, I often get upgraded to first class, and I used to think that that's where all the rich people are. No, the rich people have their own planes, okay? <laughs> no, these are the people that work nonstop. And it's a fascinating to me because, yeah, yeah, in first class, you do get free champagne, blah, blah, blah. And I'm astounded the number of times I climbed on a plane, and at least 80% of the people in first class, they immediately lay, lay their eyes back and go to sleep. They don't care. They don't want it. They're tired from working hard. So I'm sitting there in first class and I'm observing this and this lady walks down the aisle. She goes, yeah, right. Like all these people deserve it. They have the money to do whatever they want. They need to put the rich people in the back and let us have it. And it's like, look at that. Huh. That's masquerading as righteous indignation. It's nothing more than coveting. 
okay? It's really all it is. So we find ways to turn these, these failures, these broken parts of us, into virtue, if you will. Uh, we had a good teacher, Satan. Domestic tyranny, abuse, gets translated into parental concern. One of the pastors of a major church in Denver was let go for uh, immorality. Went to a second church a number of years ago now and let go from there for immorality. He's having sex with women. And they interviewed him in the paper. That's when I lived down there. And he said, well, it's just the way God made me. See, that's masquerading, isn't it? Pretending. No, that's not what God made you for. Are you crazy? But that's what sin does. It fools us. It fools us. And it leads us to always want to put up appearances. We begin to wear masks. And it creates shame. The darkest parts of us we're ashamed of. We're going to hear more about that in the coming weeks. We're not going to deal a lot with shame right now other than masks. And what's it like to take the mask down? What is it like? What's it like? We know it's going to happen with Jesus. He's going to look us in the eyes one day and say, it's so good to finally meet you face to face. That's Stephen when he was stoned. He looks up and he says, I see Jesus standing. And he got incensed because he said that. And then he stunned everybody. He said, Father, don't hold this sin against them. They don't know what they're doing. That's what happens when you pull the mask down. Is you begin to experience humility and grace and a deeper love for the people around you. You keep the mask up. You're hiding. And you're doing what Adam and Eve did. Hiding and pointing the finger. So, we work very hard to keep up appearances, don't we? Wherever we are in life, it doesn't matter. I want to keep up appearances that things are okay. When masks are worn, two things happen. Number one is we feel shame and therefore begin to tolerate it in our own lives. We explore it. We justify it. We refuse to take responsibility for it. We even get addicted to it, and we even lose our ability to notice it. When Nancy and I were in Germany, I won't forget it. It's the turning point in my life. We had a young lady who was really in trouble. We didn't know why. We weren't trained in counseling. And so we ordered all these books on uh, childhood victims of sexual assault. I'd read them all. And, um, and we made a list of all the indicators. And I said, uh, this lady meets all these indicators of sexual abuse and assault. And Nancy said, yeah, she does. There's someone else in our ministry that meets all these as well. And I said, who? You. Like somebody ripping off the covers. She said, why don't you tell me what you've always been ashamed of? And that's the first time all this mess came out. I've never forgotten it. The shame, the embarrassment, the humiliation, the horror. You see, I had learned to hide. 
I learned to tolerate it. I learned to ignore it. I'd even learned to be addicted to it. Shame, shame deceives us. That's what it does. It deceives us. And you won't find life behind the mask. You won't. And this leads to the second thing is that we begin to develop a judgmental attitude toward others who struggle with sin so we don't have to face our own mess. So we begin to pull the wool over our own eyes. This is what happens in marriage. It is. You have a fight. You think you can remember things, don't you? You know, we have, we have decades of psychological analytical studies on memory. And you know what we've learned from all that? There's not a single one of you that can remember anything accurately. Not a single one of you. In fact, we have this thing I've kind of been studying a little bit uh, over the last few years. Uh, we overwrite our memories with the sentiments that we're experiencing in our marriage. So if our marriage goes south, we begin to look back at memories negatively. And we empower them. Uh, a couple of years back, I said something to Nancy, and she got upset with me, and I said, okay, I'm not going to apologize for the word that I just used, but I am going to apologize for what it meant 30 years ago. And she said, what did it mean 30 years ago? It was meant to harm you. And I'm so sorry for that. And so we begin to override memories negatively. And then the good news is, is that you turn your marriage in a positive direction, you start overriding those memories positively. But we know for sure not one single human can remember accurately. Not one. That's why all of your marital fights are a complete waste of time. Nope, I remember what happened. This is what happened. No, this is what happened. No, and then I finally figured out one day, if I could produce a video to prove that Nancy's wrong, I still lose the war. <laughs> because all the emotions get attached to it, right? And this all comes from this deeper part of us that's broken, that we want to hide from. We don't want to be wrong. We don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to be shamed. And yet, some of the most refreshing moments in my life is when a dear friend sits down quietly and says, let me just share what happened when you said that. One of my friends said we were driving in Germany, and I was talking about the ministry. He had one ministry, we had another. And I was talking about it, he looked over and he goes, wow, you really want my approval, don't you? I thought about it, I said, yeah, I do. And he said, oh, good, now that you recognize it, let me give it to you. You don't have to manipulate for it. Let me just tell you how much I love you and how refreshing that feels, that honesty, okay? He kind of pulled the mask off. Nancy pulled the mask off. How good that feels. You see, the result is that we begin to judge others. Look, look in Luke chapter 6, verse 37 and 38. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Okay, stop. Why would Jesus have to tell us that? Because your natural inclination is to judge others. That's why. That's why. 
That's your natural, if, if it wasn't your natural inclination, he wouldn't have to tell us this. This is what it's like under the curse. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured right into your lap. Look at the next part. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Be very careful how you assess people. Be very careful. I used to teach a class called Theological and Philosophical Foundations for Counseling. And one of the things I said is, as a counselor, you naturally begin to form an opinion as you see patterns in people. Hold those loosely. Hold those loosely. You're not God. Be willing to be wrong and hope you are. Okay? Because the moment you think you got somebody figured out, you're wrong. It's one of the things I've learned. It's one of the things I've learned. So then he goes on in the same paragraph, verse 41. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? That's what happens. You see, that's what the mask does. I'm not so bad. That little white lie is not that important. I just lusted after her once. That's not that important. It's important enough that that one sin cost Jesus' life. That's how important it is. That one sin, if that's all you did, that was enough to die for. Yeah, it is important. And the mask that we put up makes us want to hide. Okay, I want you to put your mask up and hold it. And just leave it there for just a second. What is it you're hiding from others and trying to hide from the Lord, by the way? What is it? What is it you're hiding? Last week, um, we had you come forward and kneel or kneel at your chair if you needed to cleanse the soul. Psalm 51, verse 1. Okay, this is David. Psalm 51 is David after he was confronted with uh, about Bathsheba. He says, Lord, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. And that's what we talked about last week. Cleansing comes from repentance. That's why I had you kneel down and just say, Jesus, forgive me. Just, it's that easy. Jesus, forgive me. And that cleanses us. So this week, I want to add to it the word honesty or transparency. In the same psalm in verse 10, here's what he says. Created me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So I'm going to give you just a second. I want you to pray that prayer. And as you pray it, pull the mask down and visualizing, let's start with the Lord. Tozer said when you look at his eyes, they're going to be dancing with delight because he loves you so deeply. So pull the mask down and just pray that prayer. Created me a pure heart, O God. No shame. No judgment, no condemnation, 
no embarrassment. This is the reason Jesus came to the earth. To look around and say, wow. Look what these fallen people live with every day. Every day. What are you hiding? What are you hiding? And that raises the question, what type of church do we want to be? You don't need to walk around sharing it with everybody. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, only the word that brings encouragement to those who are listening. So you're not, we don't want the opposite, to walk around and just vomiting all of your issues. We don't want that. But the question is, do you have a safe and healthy place to say, I'm really struggling. I've sat across from the table over coffee with many of you as you said, I'm really struggling with this or this. Do you have that? Do you have it with me? No judgment, no condemnation. None. You have it with God. No judgment, no condemnation. That's the type of church I want us to be is where you can find a friend and sit down and say, I'm really struggling with this sin. And the other person across from you can say, welcome to the club. You're not alone. You're not alone. Father, thank you for... Well, Jesus, thank you that even the smallest sin was important enough to you that you climbed up on the cross to bring about forgiveness and then to begin to give us this wonderful grace that we barely understand. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for caring about us enough to step into our place and take care of our issues so that we can then be honest and we can pull the mask down. We can look in your eyes and see eyes dancing with delight. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask the officers to take the offering. Thanks for being generous. Yeah.